Before we talk about something really important, I want to talk to you about something that's really not. How many of you have Facebook? Come on. Yeah? Look at that. Bunch of sinners in my church. Good, because I am one of them too. Something funny happened this week, and I got this posting from Facebook. And uh, it was kind of disturbing on one level because it said that Yvonne has updated her status. And it said that she is now married to Chad Skilperort. Yeah, there were some really creative posts that came after that, which I was kind of speechless. And I'm kind of thinking, what do I do with that? I guess after 25 years of marriage, she finally decided to sign the marriage license. Uh, I don't know. And it's nice to know that she claims me after 25 years. I, I like that. When uh, I, one of the things I, I kind of like to do is when there's single people and, and you know, you, they're kind of hanging out with a special someone. And I like to find out, you go to their Facebook page to find out how special that someone is, you know, to find out, you know, are they really serious? And uh, I've done this to my son, unbeknownst to him. And uh, but uh, for single folks, I thought it was interesting that, you know, you'll, you'll look if you want to find out how important someone is to somebody, you can find out what their status is. And I remember one couple, I, I went and I, I checked and I saw the, the gal and, and her status said, uh, you know, I'm in a relationship with, I will just call him Johnny. I'm in a relationship with Johnny. And so I thought, well, I'm going to go to Johnny's site. And I checked Johnny. Johnny's status, single. And I wanted to call Johnny and say, Johnny, you have a problem. It's called a stalker. No. And I wonder if, uh, if Jesus had a Facebook page, would he update his status for you to say that he is in a relationship with you? Because we know that God created you. We know that Jesus died for you. But is he in a relationship with you? And so when we come to Easter, and we think of the resurrection, we think of the cross, we think of all of the events that are historical facts and we even celebrate and we sing the songs and we understand the theology of all of these things. And we even, you know, memorize scriptures about it. It's a question that comes to mind for me every Easter, and that is this. So what? So what? One of the most famous verses in all of scripture is John 3.16. You probably know it. It goes like something like this. In fact, it's probably on screen. And if it is, let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, there is the gospel. There's the good news of Jesus Christ in one profound verse. Incredible promise. Believe in Jesus, receive eternal life. And I want to be very clear about something. John's, uh, John 3.16 is 100% true. Believe Jesus, receive eternal life. Easter is 100% about how Jesus broke the power of death. Making eternity with God a gift. And he's just waiting for us to receive it. But there's a problem that I see. It's not a problem with the truth in that. It's just sort of how it's sometimes been understood and applied. Because many of us have come to believe that what it means is that the, the goal of Easter was just to sort of get us to heaven. That faith, faith is the currency in which we buy a ticket 
to the VIP pass, you know, to the pearly gates of heaven. And so what a lot of pastors on Sunday and why many of them get stressed out on Easter is that they're trying to figure out, well, okay, what do I got to do to get people to, you know, to, to buy the pass, to, to vote for Jesus, to get excited and so that they, they can have the, the one-way ticket? I'm not going to do that today. As I look around the room, I'm betting that many of us have heard the story of Easter before. And you've heard it in the songs. You've heard me reference it this morning. Here's my problem. If the purpose, in the, cross of the, res- the purpose of the cross and the resurrection is just to get us to heaven, then why doesn't God just transport us there immediately when we believe? Because I could on Easter, if, if that was true on Easter Sunday, like today, I could say, do you believe in Jesus? You all would raise your hand, right? We want to believe in Jesus. We want to go to heaven. And then tomorrow morning when the janitor comes, if that were true, he would come and he'd see a, a bunch of piles of clothes and cell phones. Freak him out. Hmm. But that's not what is happening. If this is just about getting a one-way ticket, why not send... Why not God just send the express bus right away, right now? Why do we have to wait so long? What's this all about from here, from this time in our life until that time when we meet him? In Ephesians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open it with me. Paul, the apostle, he describes the significance of Easter a little bit differently. And now as I'm reading this, I want you to remember something. He is... He wrote this letter to some people who were very much not dead. That's going to come into significance. These people were alive. Hence, he wrote the letter. But he writes in verse 1 of chapter 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. But because of this great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace that you've been saved. Oh, I love Ephesians chapter 2. And here I see this diagnosis about how to tell the difference between dead people and living people where you think well it must be because they got brain waves and a heartbeat right no he says according to this verse dead people the way you know them is that they follow the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air which is the devil you think well that's not me maybe not Then he says, this is how you know the living. They follow Christ. You see, we don't think we're on that other side. But if we're not on the side where we're following Christ, then guess what? We're not following Christ. And if you've ever wondered, hey, am I going to heaven? I mean, we we like to think that we are. We like to think that we're good enough and all this and... But according to this verse, there's an easy way to tell. 
Just ask yourself, who am I following and where are they going? And if you're following Jesus, you know where he's leading you. You know he's leading you to heaven. But you know, Jesus never says, hey, uh, come and I'm going to sell you. You can buy a ticket to the shuttle bus to heaven. But here's what he does say. He says, follow me. And he says, follow me, not because I know the way, but because I am the way. I am the way. And so Paul says to people who've never been physically dead, whose hearts are still ticking, whose brain waves are still functioning, that although we weren't following Christ, but now we do follow Jesus. He says this, because of that, God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this isn't from yourselves. It's a gift, a gift of God, not by work so that you can't boast about it. But we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And you see, I see reason here why we're not immediately transported to heaven when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. It's because God is making something special in you. He is making something special. And you are the raw material. He says we are his workmanship. We're his workmanship, his handiwork, his masterpiece. Understand something. You, according to this scripture, according to the God's word, God's heart is saying this about you, that you are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. And if you're willing to live on his workbench, he'll transform you into something beautiful, something useful, unique, and something of incredible value. He loves you that much. And so it begs the question, what kind of a masterpiece are we talking about? What's this all about? How does he shape his masterpiece? What's his technique? How does he do this? Well, the answers to those questions become clear, but only when we understand one basic principle And it's this, it's this, that to be transformed into God's masterpiece, I must surrender myself to the master. I must surrender myself to the master. We can go to church, we can read the Bible, we can know the Bible, we can have, we can know people who are Christians or who think they are a Christian or or maybe people that are really surrendered, we know them. We have family members that are really spiritual and and we live sort of through them. That's not the deal. That's not how this opens to us. This is not how we discover the workmanship that God has created us to be. It's when we surrender completely to Him. And I recognize this is a tall order. I'm I'm... I'm standing here as one who is still learning how to do this. I got to tell you, there isn't a day go by where my will and God's will clash. Can someone else say amen? You're saying amen. Yeah, I know that you're a bad pastor. I need to surrender. And I need to surrender in three specific ways. And here they are. Number one, I need to surrender to his vision. 
his vision for his masterpiece. I'm going to talk about what the vision is. But first I want to talk about who owns it. It says we are God's workmanship. It means it's God's vision. I'm not Chad's workmanship. I'm not my wife's workmanship. I'm not my parents' workmanship. I'm God's workmanship. And by the way, this is the key to understanding why so many people are so anxious and unfulfilled, unhappy, and live joyless lives. Here it is. Because you were created in God's image, but you're being shaped by someone else's craftsmanship. And when that happens, you feel like a fraud, a forgery. You know that feeling, don't you? That someone else has been writing on God's masterpiece. Maybe it's someone else that you know and love. Maybe it's yourself. And you've been so self-directed and so self-created that there hasn't been much room for God's vision for your life. And so the question this morning is, Are you tired of that? Are you tired of being shaped by someone else or something else? And this morning, are you ready to be shaped by the master? Then I want to invite you. Not to pray a prayer, not to raise your hand to vote for Jesus. But to surrender to his vision for your life. The master's vision. Because as one of his mas- one of his masterpieces, if you're anxious, if you're not un- if you're unfulfilled in life, when you receive the master's vision, you receive the master's peace. It's like when we come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's, it's like, that's what I was meant for. It's like everything else we've been singing out of tune. And it's not that life's perfect in that moment, it's just that it makes sense. And there's purpose and direction and vision. And see, if it's about the master's vision, then what does he see? What is the vision that he has for us? You know, an artist, when he looks at the raw materials that he's going to make some artwork out of, he or she has a picture of the finished product in mind. The painter doesn't see a blank canvas, but a beautiful landscape. The potter doesn't see a lump of clay, but sees in his mind's eye a beautifully handcrafted bowl. And the sculptor doesn't see an an ugly rock. sees a beautiful statue that is about to emerge. And in the Bible, we see numerous examples of people who couldn't see in themselves what God saw in them. I think of Moses, for example. You see, when, when God looked at Moses, he didn't see a murderer on the lamb, but a liberator of a nation. When he saw Gideon, he didn't see a cowardly farmer, but he saw a mighty warrior. When he saw Peter, he didn't see a man with spiritual, emotional ADD. (laughs) Read about Peter. You'll know what I mean. 
He didn't see that. But he saw a courageous leader. When he saw Mary, the mother of Jesus, he didn't see an insecure little Palestinian girl from an insignificant town. He saw the one who was going to carry the incarnation of God. He saw that. And you know, if you could go back and ask any one of those people, if they saw that in themselves, they would tell you, no way. I didn't know that was there. None of those people would have seen in themselves what God saw in them. So is it possible, people, is it possible that your vision for your life and God's vision for your life are completely different? Could that be possible? I think it is. You may remember last week there was this whole uh, drama of the Mega Millions lottery. You guys hear about that? All right, how many honest people bought a ticket? Uh, (laughs) A couple of us. (laughs) All right, Uh, if you you won, I hope you tithe this morning. It's funny, I actually, uh, I know somebody who um, had an opportunity to uh, invest with her coworkers in a pool, a lottery pool. You know, people will do that. They'll, you know, collect thousands of dollars and make this pool of lottery tickets, and hopefully one of them wins. Well, she had this opportunity, and she didn't, she passed it up. She said, no, I'm not going to do that. Guess what? This is local. They won. They won. And she's bummed. You think? But any, anyways, I noticed about myself when I uh, saw the commercials for the Mega Millions. Y- you've done this, right? You start dreaming. I saw the boat that I was going to buy. I, I, was, I was, originally I started thinking about tackle that I would buy to go fishing, and then I thought, tackle shop, you know? A chain of tackle shops. I wanna, no, 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 I'm going to buy the Pacific Ocean. Where all the salmon are. You know, and I started just going like this. And, and it struck me this morning, literally while I was in the shower getting ready this morning. It was like the Lord was saying, Bro, how can you have such an incredible vision for what, you'd, what your life would be like if you had the riches of the lottery? That's guaranteed, guaranteed uh, failure. I mean, it's guaranteed bad bet. How could you spend so much time envisioning a life with that? And get so excited about that and not be possessed with my vision for your life and the promises of the riches of Jesus Christ in a bet that has guaranteed to pay off always. Why? Because, well, there's that prince of the power of the air, of the world, that says, you know what? Calling and saying, that's the voice you should follow. And since God is the artist, what does God see? What does He see in you? What's His vision for the finished product? There's an important four-word phrase in verse 10 which reminds us exactly what that is. He says, we are created 
in Christ Jesus. We are created in Christ Jesus. What's that mean? He says a little more clearly in 2 Corinthians 3, in verse 18, where he writes that we reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Do you see a process here? Do you see that God has a plan between now and heaven? That he is not just sort of, hey, you believe in me and hey, we'll catch up later when eternity happens. No, no, no. He's not saying that at all. Here's the master's vision. It's this, that you become like, that you, be, that you act like, look like Jesus. That's his, his idea. That's what he wants. And just as every person is unique, every one of God's masterpieces is unique. But there's one thing that all of God's masterpieces have in common, and it's this. That when people look at one of God's masterpieces that have been shaped by God, you know what they see? They see Jesus. They see Jesus. You know, I think this is one of the reasons why so many people are actually disillusioned with Christianity, particularly maybe the the church in America, because there's so many Christians that, that, that claim to be one of God's masterpieces, but when people look at them, they don't see Jesus in the artwork. And I think there's another reason why some of us are disappointed. Some of us are disappointed. It's this. And I think this maybe applies to most of us. And we get disappointed because when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, many of us thought we were boarding the express bus for heaven. Buying the, you know, eternal fire insurance. But it turns out that the first stop on that bus isn't at the pearly gates. You know where it is? The first stop is at God's workshop. That's where it stops. He's like, come on, we got some work to do. Because I'm going to create in you a masterpiece. I'm going to do something amazing in you that you could never do through a self-help book. You could never do through good advice. You could never do by listening to your parents. You could never do it. The only way you could understand and, and become the masterpiece that I have created, God says to us, is by listening, following, surrendering to me, and following my son, Jesus Christ. Is that, though, the vision for your life? I think for many of us, this recession has challenged a vision that we've had, and that is the American dream. It's been one of my prayers that in many of us, particularly in Christian circles, that we would have that American dream almost surgically removed from us. You know why? It's this. Please don't understand this to me. I, I, I want you to be successful. I want you to have a house. I want you to have the picket fence. Those are all good things. Okay? But there is something about that vision which competes against the vision that God has for us. And we can begin to come to God and say, God, I want you, if it, if it means helping me achieve the vision that I have, or at least they say I should have in America. And so many of us have come on some hard times, and it's really challenged that vision. And for you, maybe I, and I'm hoping that this morning, it's drawn you to your knees to say, God, I need a different vision, because the one I've been following is hollow. So I need to surrender to the Master's vision. 
And secondly, I need to surrender to his purpose, his purpose for his masterpiece. I mean, why does God want all of his masterpieces to be created to look like Jesus? Well, we're created in Christ for a reason. He says it's to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we see here, let me just take a, a bit of a step back. When I talk about good works, some of us get a little uptight. Okay? There are some things that God wants to do, charity and, and all of these things, which flow out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. We do not do things to earn our way to heaven. Someone say amen. Okay? But these things flow out of a person who is being shaped into the image of Jesus because we begin to look and act like Jesus. And those are the natural byproduct of that relationship. And so we see here that what God's artwork does is directly to relate directly related to what the artwork looks like. God's handiwork isn't just something for him to put on his trophy case and say, "Hey, wow, angels, come here, look at this. Got another one." Pretty cool. No. That's not what it is. He is not, God is not an art collector. He's an artist. He makes artwork. Let me say it a different way. He makes art that works. And here's what he does with his masterpieces. Verse 6. He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. So, or so that, and he's saying this is the reason why. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Jesus Christ. He's... He's putting us on display. And this is why he wants you to be conformed to the image of Christ. So that God can point to us as living demonstrations of his power, of his grace, of his kindness and forgiveness. That's why he displays his masterpieces. Now, I don't know about you. But sometimes I don't feel like a masterpiece. I sometimes feel like a, a warped image of maybe what God is wanting to do. Because I don't have in, in sometimes all of that forgiveness, all of that grace, all of that generosity, the power of God and all of that. My family will tell you that. That I am imperfect. And I'm sometimes hard to live with. And by the way, so are you. I know because your wife's called me. And told, no, just kidding. There's a question at Easter that always grasps my heart, and it's this one. And it, do you know why the apostles got so excited about Jesus that they would literally give up everything to follow him and tell the whole world about him? I mean, literally, think about what they gave up. They gave up family. They gave up homes. They gave up their jobs and their lives. The disciples were martyred because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Who would do that kind of thing? What, what, what empowered them with that kind of a vision? 
I mean, it could have been maybe that. I mean, if you saw the empty tomb and then you saw the risen Savior and you saw the nails and and his hands and his feet and you saw him eat the fish and talk to you and teach you from the Bible for 40 days after he had died, that might be a changing event in your life. But I wonder, is that enough to propel you, to change you forever? Because you know what I think? Let me ask it this way. If I won the lottery, how would you feel? Ah, happy for me, right? Yeah, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for you, Pastor Chad. And you say, hey, congratulations, I'm so glad you won. Um, By the way, I need a new car, can you help me out? (laughs) I mean, we might respond that way, right? But here's the thing, now what if you won? What if you won the lottery? Oh, man, I won the lottery. I am so pumped. I just, you're just you're freaking out. Change your life. You see, I don't think that for the disciples, the disciples, that knowing someone who had been resurrected would have been enough for them to give up everything to change the world. But I believe that they couldn't shut up about Jesus, not because of what happened to Jesus, but because of what resurrection power did to them. That's what got them going. They looked at Peter and said, oh, my goodness, you're preaching a sermon. You're raising the dead. You're healing people. Peter? Really? He said, yeah, can you believe it? And he puts us on display. He said, look at Look at that one. The power of God has taken over this one. You know, Paul doesn't just say, hey, God resurrected Jesus, and isn't that cool? No. He writes that he raised us from the dead. Raised us from the dead along with Christ. And he's not telling a story about something that happened to someone else. He's not relaying a history lesson. He's testifying about something that happened to him. Has it happened to you? Have you been radically changed by Jesus? Are you being transformed? And if not, do you want to be? Because that really is the question, isn't it? If you want to be, He doesn't ask of you much except for everything. To just surrender. To just say, you know what, Lord? My vision for my life, my direction for my life, I'm tired of it. Are you ready to give up yet? I wish I had given up much earlier in my life. I'm still working on giving up. I'm still working on that whole will thing. I love how Paul referred to himself in his uh, note to a, a good friend of his, Timothy. And he said in chapter 1 and verse 16, He said, for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. You see how he's talking about himself on display? Here's something to consider. 
God puts his masterpieces on display so that he can proudly show the world the beauty of Jesus Christ at work in you. And if you feel too awkward about that, about being on display for the world to see, then I've got to tell you something. You don't want to be a Christian. And personally, I've got to tell you something. This is the hardest part of following Jesus, I think. One of the hardest parts of following Jesus. Because, see, it's not that God is watching me. It's that the world is. And I think it would be easier if God would just keep me in the back room. Really. Until he's finished with me, at least. Because, you know, God has this annoying habit of displaying his artwork before it's completed. Why does he do that to me? Why does he do that to you? Well, you know what it means? If God does that and he displays his artwork before it's fully completed, this means that God believes in you and he believes that you're useful even before you're perfect. And surrendering his workmanship is not easy, is it? And God knows that you're not easy material to work with, are you? I mean, some of us keep crawling off the workbench. Some of you have crawled off so successfully you're now sitting off to the side, sort of critically eyeing the people who are on the workbench, you know, those cracked pots that he's working on where you can just kind of look and go, hmm, yeah, they need that. And if that's you, you're in a really dangerous place. Because the safest place to be is on that workbench. I'm one of his cracked pots. And I love it that he is not done with me yet. I'm so thankful he's patient with me. And I love Paul's promise. He said, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Some of you come in this morning and you think, wait a minute. My life is such a mess and I am so cracked up. He can't do anything with this. But the promise of that scripture is that if, as long as you're surrendering to him, he's going to start what he finished, or he's going to finish what he starts. It's his promise to you. But the question is, will you stay surrendered to his vision, surrendered to his purpose? Those are the first two things. And the third thing is this, that I need to surrender to his craftsmanship. So, Ephesians 2.10 really says that I am God's workmanship, his masterpiece. Wow. I don't know about all of you, but when I look in the mirror every morning, I don't exactly see a masterpiece. You know, Picasso maybe, you know, something like that, but not a masterpiece. But still, you know, that's what I want. That's what I really want. So every morning I pray and I say, God, take those things out of my life that don't belong there. Take the things out of my life that you don't want there. Mold me and shape me into the image of your son, Jesus. And I pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Hey. Oh, geez, don't do that. Who are you? I'm God. No, believe me, buddy. 
you're not God. No, I'm God. You said the prayer. Here I am. That's how it works. Okay, well then, if you're God, let's see. If you're God, then, okay, then if you're God, then why don't you make it snow inside this building? Yeah. I really want to make it snow in here. It would get kind of yucky. So you're not God. Why do you say that? Because God would never use a word like yucky. (laughs) Yes, I would. It's a Greek word. It is? Oh. Okay, then if you're God, what does what does Lamentations fifteen nine say? Lamentations only has five chapters. It's a really short book. Oh. Why so short? I was tired of lamenting. <laughs> oh, okay, then if you're God, who's gonna win the World Series this year? You know, I'm not so into playing games. Why are you so into playing games? You really are God. What gave it away? Because you answered my question with a question. I do that, don't I? Oh, I just did it again, didn't I? All right, all right, come on, step right up. Wait, 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 what are these things here? These are the tools that I'm going to use you to shape you into my original masterpiece. Oh, okay. But I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Let's go. Okay. Well, wait a second. How do you know what to take away and what to leave? Well, I, I take things that just don't really belong there, kind of like dead weight. Oh, speaking of that, could you, like, take a whole bunch <laughs> off right here? Because I'm telling you, this stuff started packing on in my late 20s, and it has not stopped since. I mean, I've tried diet. I've tried exercise. My wife even signed me up for one of those Pilates classes. Ooh, awkward. <laughs> so now it's growing around into this back fat stuff. I don't even know why you invented that, by the way. So I'm thinking maybe if, if you could, like, take it off here and, like, slim this down and put, like, eight lines right there, that would be awesome. <laughs> You're pretty funny. That's, that's really funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. Platypus? All I'm saying is during this process, my children, they just, they love to talk, but they don't want to do any of the work. So can I talk? Do you want to talk or can I chisel? Talk? Chisel? No, 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 no. I choose the chisel. Yeah. Are you sure? No. My children love to talk. Not me. I choose the chisel. You're a chiseler. Yeah, okay. come on. Yeah. So through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring things up that I want you to work on. Oh, such as your anger. I created the emotion, but you use it about the wrong way. Oh, you compare yourself to others instead of me. You tell little white lies to people, please. You're lazy, but you try to make yourself look like you're really, really busy. You have a problem with lust. Whoa, hang on. I do not have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. Okay, okay, okay. No, okay, look, all I'm saying is let's take a time out because I think I'm doing pretty good. You know what? You're right. You are doing pretty good. But when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me, duh. Right and my work isn't done yet because I need you to ultimately see my son. Okay, but look, don't get me wrong on this. It's just that when I start to look more like Jesus, people get, you know, uncomfortable around me. I mean, even some of my church friends are like, Oh, Mr. Reverend Pete, Mr. Holier Than Now, we can't go do this with you. So what you're saying is that you would rather play God in certain areas of your life and it's now allowing me to be God over your whole life. I did not say that. That's what you meant. Yeah, it is. Look, you're really hard to talk to. I mean... Come on, you know everything that I'm thinking. I mean, it's hard to talk to you. All I'm saying is, 
You've done some good work. Let's take a time out. I'll stand right here. That's just it. You can't just stay right there. You're either moving toward me or away from me. What you're doing right now is really common. It's called control. Now, do you want to continue to control or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, chisel. No, no, chisel. Okay. But can we, um, you know, chisel where I want to chisel? That's called control. Oh. Here we go. There's this secret sin that you continue to run to whenever you're lonely, tired, angry. You're not fooling anybody. It's turning you into a whitewashed tomb. Are you ready for me to chisel that out of your life? Yeah. Yeah. See, it's, it's not a sprint. It's a process. It's a marathon. You've cared so deeply about what other things people think about you. It's garbage. It's rubbish. The greatest thing that you can hear at the end of your life is me telling you, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what your focus needs to be. That's the prize. Heavenward. Okay, but it hurts. This hurts me more than it hurts you. Yeah, right. Pardon me? Look, look, I don't think you understand the pain. I don't understand the pain. You're asking me to sacrifice a lot, God. Don't talk to me about sacrifice. I know everything about sacrifice. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain and for sin. But I also sent him for one other thing. To give you freedom. Do you know what the definition of insanity is? It's doing the same thing over and over and over again in your life. But you're expecting different results. And you've been doing that for years. You've been turning to these empty wells. They have nothing to offer. And that's insane. Allow me to chisel those out of your life and build character where you're so consumed with your image. Okay, I was just thinking that... Your thoughts are not my thoughts. But maybe there's a different way. Your ways are not my ways. Okay, look, I can't. You can't what? Be good. I can't be good. That's your excuse. You can't be good. It's not an excuse. I can't. Oh, my child. In the beginning, I said it was good. I've made you good. No. Be good. No, you just... What? Nothing. You wouldn't understand. I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something that one of my children has to say. Try me. It's just that I've let you down so much, God. You were never holding me up. I was holding you up with my victorious, righteous right hand. In this relationship, I'm the one that's holding you up. Okay. Chisel away. Just be prepared for what you're going to find in there. Because every morning I get up and I look in the mirror and I hate who I see. Because every day this little kid gets up and he dresses like an adult and he tries to go out there and he tries to be who everybody else expects him to be. And I can't. I can't even be who I want to be, let alone who you created me to be. So go ahead, God. Chisel away. But all you're going to find inside is some scared, stupid little kid. Just be prepared. Oh, my child. 
You've been listening to far too many voices that are not of me for far too long. You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night after you've done the dance to get the hug, you think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't take time to make junk. How can I show you that my love stretches as far as the east is to the west? How can I show you that my love has no end? I know. Reach into your back pocket. What? Reach into your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach into your back pocket. Oh, God. Yes? Oh, God, I'll do that right now. No, you were just saying my name in vain. Look, it's just a saying. It's a name. No, it's a name above all names. It's more than a name, more than a saying. I want to teach you something about my name. Now reach into your back pocket. What is that? This is something I wrote like 10 years ago. Where'd you get this? Hello? Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Read it. I love Monica Franco. The other side. Oh, sorry. I married her, you know. You know what? I was there. Dear God, did I hear you right today? Did I hear you say that you love me? Even though both you and I know I've messed up so many times. Did I hear you say you want to use me? But I feel so useless. If you'll take me and use me, God, I give you all that I am. Take me. I love you, God. And I love you too. And I love you too much to leave you where you're at. The salvation that you hold on to. I don't want it to be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want to work out every detail of your life. And when trouble arises or chaos comes, I don't want you to look at it like you're stuck in a prison. I want you to look at it as a father disciplining his son. A father disciplining the ones that he loves. But that's going to be hard. Yeah, you're right. It is going to be tough. But you bought in the lie thinking that everything was going to be easy once you gave your life to me. There's going to be trouble in this world. But I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. Pete, I want you to do something for me. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Pete is God's original masterpiece. Pete is God's original. No, 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 no. I don't want you to say it how you see yourself or you fear that others see you, but the way that I see you, the way that I created you. Pete is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so... God doesn't take time to make junk. You are God's original masterpiece. That's the kind of God who created us. A God who makes beautiful things out of dust, out of nothing. You know... This morning, as we've been looking at some incredible truths, 
I don't know about you, but that skit really hit me. And a question comes to mind as I hear that skit. And that is, what is standing between you, who you are right now? What is standing between who you are right now and the masterpiece God wants to create in you? And the question is, have you surrendered completely to the Lord, to the hands of the Master? You know, in that skit we saw that the, what happens when people surrender to the handiwork of God. And did you notice something about God that he didn't just barge right in? He's a gentleman. But you know, when he's invited in, he's ready to chisel. And chiseling happens through a conversation with God. By His Holy Spirit. And you saw that up here. And you think, well, man, that would be great if I could have a conversation with God like that. And He'd say, yeah, take away the fat, you know, and take away all the stuff. And you could know what to take off and what He was going to do. Wouldn't it be great if you could have that kind of a conversation with God? Do you know that you can? Do you know that the number one way God speaks to us is through His Word? It's through Scripture. It's through the Bible. And so we don't really have to wonder. What we have to do is to search and to seek and to say, God, I want to hear your voice. Show me. And we, we begin to dive in. That's why, by the way, we're doing this whole 40 days in the Word thing. Because guess what? Collectively, we are taking a journey onto God's workbench. I want to invite you to be a part of that. The Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. Those basic instructions, those are chiseling instructions. Those are the ways we discover how God wants to shape his masterpiece. Now, normally in an Easter message like this, a pastor might stand up and say, you know, do you want to raise your hand and give your heart to Jesus? And, and, and if, if, by the way, if that's you today, I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to talk to me after service. But I want to end this service, my message this morning, the way the Apostle Peter, I mentioned earlier, ended his first sermon. Because Peter addressed a crowd that day very similar to us, I think, in many ways. It was a long time ago. They looked a little different, spoke a different language. But, you know, these were church people. They, were, they believed in God. They weren't atheists. They were religious. They went to church. They even knew their Bible. But when Peter spoke, they had just heard about the resurrection. They had just heard about the power of God and how God wants to come and to lead a life and transform a human being into the image of His Son. And it so overwhelmed the crowd. Collectively, they asked Peter a question. What shall we do? Great question. If that's your question this morning, what shall we do? What shall I do? 
Peter's answer to them that day is my answer to you. And here it is. He said, repent and be baptized. As I was preparing this morning, I felt like God was saying, no, don't let them off easy on just, you know, raise your hand and vote for Jesus. Because many of us have done that numbers of times and we have been off the Lord's workbench for so long. If we've never got on. And Peter would say, repent and be baptized. And I believe that's the Lord's call to us this morning. You see, the waters of baptism, that's the way we show God that we are really serious about surrendering our lives. If I could this morning, we had the baptismal here. We just couldn't have it today. I would say, come on in. Some of us this morning, you may have been in church your whole life. And 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 you've never felt like you were being made into a masterpiece. You've maybe been controlling things yourself. And you want a fresh start, a new beginning. Maybe you've been baptized before. I just want to invite you. God is saying, look, I am doing something new. If you are crawling back on the workbench, I believe God is calling you to come back and to be baptized. To say, Lord, I am dying to myself. I am submersing uh, myself completely, dipped under. That's what baptism means. You think, well, that's just a little awkward. You know, I think it was intended to be. You know why? Because the first lesson of coming to faith in Jesus Christ is what I said. When his masterpieces, he puts us on display. And I think a courageous step is to just say, you know what? That's me. I'm coming onto the workbench. I'm surrendering to Jesus. And so I want to invite you. I tell you what, if you want to be baptized today, I'll meet you at the lake. That's my promise. I really will do it. You tell me after service. But I'll make you this promise. If you don't want to do it today, there'll be a baptismal here next Sunday. If there's one person in this room that wants to be baptized and wants to say, I surrender to the Lord, I want to tell you something. By coming and being baptized, you're not joining a church. You're not joining a religious movement. You're joining Jesus. You're saying, I want to become the original masterpiece that you see and say that I'm supposed to be. And so I have something I want to show you. It's really high tech. It's a really fancy blank sign-up sheet. High tech. I was thinking about putting it on an iPad if I only had one. That's right. But here's the deal. Where's Pastor Randy? I'm going to give this to Pastor Randy. He's going to put this at the welcome table on the way out. And if there's one of you that wants to be baptized, put your name down. Give us your phone number. And uh, we'll contact you and we'll, we'll make that happen. And so stop by and see that. Also on your way out, if you have, I would imagine that you had some questions this morning. We have a cool thing. It's called a starter kit. It's my gift to you. It's at the welcome table on your way out. There's a Bible in here. There's some uh, some information. There's questions and answers and things like that. And uh, and you know what? If you do want to talk after service, you, something that's happened today and you want to talk about it, Pastor Randy, Pastor Dan, myself, any one of the leaders, love to chat. And I want to challenge you. Forty days in the Word. 
If you're in a season where you feel like God is calling you up to something, calling you to a new standard, a new way of living, He's doing something new in your life, I want to invite you to be a part of 40 Days in the Word. Come. And you know what? You're going to be with a bunch of imperfect people who just collectively we are saying, all right, we're going on the workbench together. Are you coming? That's what church is. That's what we do here every Sunday. And you're invited. God bless you.